Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us uh, before we start our program because we're always getting new listeners and, and people want to know a little bit more about our organization. So Alzheimer Speaks is, is basically just an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease continue to live with purpose. And we know every individual listening to our show can make a difference, and even those that aren't. Um, And that's one of the reasons we love it when you share our resources. And that might be the radio show could be our resource directory, the blog, um, our YouTube channel, and all of those shares and likes have had a powerful, powerful impact. You see, um, at our core, we believe collaboration is really the only way that we're going to win the battle against dementia and in sharing knowledge like we have on the show, um, listening to all voices. And through your clicks and shares and likes um, with your Facebook friends, with your Twitter tribes, with your LinkedIn colleagues, um, with your Pinterest circle and your 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 Google sphere, um, you actually got Alzheimer Speaks named the number one influencer online according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And again, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, and that was, again, just proving that collaboratively we can make a difference by doing really small things. Um, we have a lot of power together. So um, I would just encourage people to please like the show Please pass it on. There are so many people out there dealing with dementia, all different types, both diagnosed and those caring for people that need to know they're not alone. They need to know that there's tools available to them and resources that are free. And um, that's what we like to offer here. So again, thank you so much for working with us. I also encourage our listeners, if you think you've got a story to tell, um, get a hold of me. You know, you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com through our, um, our radio page, or you can just go to our, our main kind of mothership there and click on contacts. And I would love to talk to you and hear your story. Um, how are you making a difference or how do you think a difference needs to be made? Maybe you're diagnosed. Maybe you're caring for a loved one or a friend. Maybe you have a business. Maybe you've written a book, um, done a short film or movie, uh, might be in research. It's endless. We know we need to talk um, to all voices if we're going to make an impact here. Um, So before I introduce our our guest here today, who I'm thrilled to have, I'm just going to do a shout out to a couple of companies um, that you may or may not know about. The first one is the Caregiver Alert Center. um, A fantastic um, route to to protect your loved one from uh, a situation of wandering ahead of time. 
They develop electronic posters and links that can be sent out within um, 10 minutes uh, versus waiting for hours or days, which sometimes is the case after a loved one is um, missed. You can get a link uh, from our radio show under additional resources or, again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com. And on the right-hand column, you'll see you'll see a banner there for caregiver alerts. Um, Our show today is brought to you by audible.com and you can actually get a free audible download for a 30 day free trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash social. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash social. Um, I want to mention the Rock with Dementia that is going on March 19th. Uh, It is in several countries. I think they are close to 17 countries now. Uh, This was an effort started by Norms McNamara and Wayne Mesker um, to utilize music as leverage um, to get people to to realize the impact it has and to pull them together for fundraisers and fund all around the world. It's just being done by word of mouth, and it's kind of cool to see. The other uh, company that I want to mention to you is um, FreshBooks.com. And, you know, it's tax time now. We're all kind of scrambling to, to pull stuff together. Fresh, Fresh Books is just a super simple system for invoicing and managing your money, um, ways to be able to stay on top of things so that you have more time uh, to live your life the way you want to. And you can get a free trial of Fresh Books um, for 30 days by just going to www.gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. Again, that's gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. Well, I think that's all the ringy dingies I'm going to do in terms of uh, tapping on other companies for right now um, in resources. But know that we at Alzheimer Speaks do have a resource directory, and you are um, more than welcome to go ahead and mine information off of there. Or if you want to be part of that, again, click on the contact button on alzheimerspeaks.com and just uh, shoot me an email with directions on how you can get your product, services, tools, or business listed in there. It's very simple, and it costs you nothing. And um, again, we're just all about being collaborative and trying to find ways to connect people to resources easily. Our guest today I am excited to have is Dan Hansen. And Dan has had over 25 years of experience in the funeral industry, most recently as an owner of a funeral home. And I I was lucky enough to be able to meet him before um, the show here. And his passion to educate people on end-of-life options is is just so apparent. Um, He has just such an authentic voice to make a difference so that Families can truly make the right decisions that are that are best for them, not just what uh, everybody thinks you should do, but really talking with them and, and helping them through the process. His goal is to offer unbiased education on all aspects of end-of-life options. And today I think we're going to talk about some traditional ones, and I think you're going to hear of new ones as well. And, um, you know, it's important for us to plan in order to maintain control 
when, you know, death and dying is just such a high, high emotional stance. And, um, you know, we're not of sound mind, basically, you know, when we're dealing with this, the stress is so high. And so I really would encourage people to, to listen closely and, um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to remove some of your fears of pre-planning and just having this conversation. I know I did it with my own folks and it was so helpful because not only were we talking about their end of life wishes, but you know, it got me thinking about my own and um, we all need to be thinking about this. None of us are going to live forever. So welcome, Dan. How are you today? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show and to be able to talk about your company, Living Tree Plan. Um, before I, I start kind of with my questions on end of life, I always like to ask people if they've been touched by dementia. And I, again, it really doesn't make a difference one way or the other, um, but our audience just always likes to know. I have been in actually in a couple different ways with family members, grandparents that have gone through dementia, but also when I owned the funeral home, obviously I dealt with all a great deal of families in a nursing home or a sister living type environment, and and many times the loved ones were there suffering or dealing with dementia, and, and many times at the end of life with dementia. So yes, I'm fully aware of it. Um, its destructive, I guess, capabilities and, and the difficulties that it puts not only the people struggling with it, but the caregivers with it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you tell our audience, because um, I, I want them to hear your own voice, because it was just um, so touching and so authentic when we, when we talked over a cup of coffee. Why do you feel education in this area is so critical? I'll give you, I guess, the main reason I feel, when I owned a funeral home, I owned a funeral home for about 20 years in southern Minnesota. It was a small-town funeral home, so there was always, you weren't stressed or pushed for time like you are many times in the urban areas with some of the funeral homes because of the way the businesses run. Once I sold my funeral home, I went to work with a large company in Minnesota, their funeral home business, and that's really where I saw the disconnect when people would come in off the streets who have not previously gone through this experience, and you mentioned it earlier, it's a, it's a heightened time of emotion and stress. So if they've not gone through this process before, they come in pretty much wide-eyed, having no idea, one, what their options are, two, what their costs are going to be, three, how to personalize the service. So, I, again, I saw this huge disconnect of people understanding what their options what their rights, what their financial obligations were prior to walking into a funeral home. And many times, some of the larger funeral homes don't have the time to sit down and properly educate the people prior to this process, or at least even during that need situation for the process. So that's where my idea for the company came about, is that I, I saw this disconnect, and I said, there has to be a better way, a more efficient way for families to go through this process and, and to understand their options. So for me, the education side of it was natural. It's just something I have uh, I have a strong passion for, a strong belief in. Um, end of life is something that's extremely difficult to talk about, but it's something that we all have to talk about. And once people realize that, the benefits are endless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I did it with my own folks. We went in and did some pre-planning. You know, my dad had 
um, brain tumor, my mom with dementia. And, you know, we went in and, and we heard options. Um, but looking back, we probably didn't hear all the options. It was kind of a rote, you know, pick A or B or C, you know, pick up, up, And um, it really wasn't, I didn't feel like it was really customized to our needs. And I'm pretty outspoken, so I can just kind of speak up. That's kind of who I am. But I think there were still probably a lot of questions I didn't ask because I didn't even know that I could ask them or that they were an option. And, you know, that's one of the things I guess that I'd really like to be able to share with people today is um, I I think that there are probably um, some myths out there and there's definitely a lot of stigma attached to this conversation. Um, And so how do we push, you know, through that? Maybe you can talk about the benefits um, from getting educated um, on this. What, What have you seen are the benefits for people and to whom? The, the main benefit to me are the families that are going into this admin situation. So in your situation, your mother passes away. And if you're going to utilize the services of a funeral home, if you are not educated prior to walking into that funeral home, you don't have the control. The control goes to the funeral home or the funeral director. So he, is in a, he or she is in a position of authority and expertise. So us as consumers or us as people who are there to deal with the funeral process, are somewhat at their mercy, and, and I'm kind of like you. I'm, I'm rather outspoken on the process, but if you don't know what questions to ask, if you don't know what your options are prior to going in, it's very difficult during that two-hour time period you might be at the funeral home to really understand all of your options. Your options are going to be what the funeral director or what the funeral home explains to you. Mm-hmm. If you have this education prior to going into this situation, my main purpose is when I sit down with families or individuals during this prior this prior to this admin situation, my main goal through the education is for them to maintain control. So when they do go in, they have some sense of idea of what their financial obligations are going to be, what their service options are going to be. Um, it just makes it makes a huge difference for the people making the arrangements. What I try to eliminate is many times. Even when I owned my funeral, families would come up to me after the funeral service, either the day of or the day after, and, and ask, what could we do that was different? What, what, it just, there was something missing. What could we do that was different? So my point always was when I had my funeral was to go over as many possible options as possible so they didn't have this second-guessing process. Um, most people, when they go through the funeral process, sometimes just want to get it over with as fast as possible, and I understand that. But there's so much more importance placed on the legacy of the person if they take their time. And pre-planning many times allows you to do that. Yeah, it, it really does. I, I think that there's still a lot um, missed in the process um, in terms of, you know, we pre-planned. And I thought, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have everything done. And then it was like, oh, we really don't have everything done. You know, there's, there's still a lot of little pieces. We had made a lot of decisions, but we sure as heck didn't make them all. And I kind of thought uh, in a real naive fashion that we had made them all, you know, and that there wasn't going to be that much to do. Um, but there's, it, it's amazing how many choices you, you have um, right. to get yourself through the process from, you know, are they 
being cremated or not? And, you know, are you doing a casket or, you know, are you, you know, are you going to do a wake or a celebration? Are you doing it in the church? I mean, it, it's just endless, you know, and then the paper trail that follows, what are, are you giving out and what do you need to bring? And, and, um, you know, all of those types of things, you know, getting it in the paper still needs to be done. Um, eulogies. I mean, it's, there's a lot there. And, you know, when we planned my dad's funeral, we went through and, and we did the best we could with what we had. And, um, and it was a beautiful service, you know, a celebration of life and um, was, was wonderful. But when my mom died, um, I ended up having a friend who was a, a pastor um, work with us to really design her program. And it was, it was beautiful because it was so customized to my mom. I mean, I had people who didn't know my mom, and many of them come up, you know, after the service and say, I really feel like I know her. Yeah. And that was just so um, touching. And so it just made us feel good as a family that, you know, we really got across that to so many people who come out to support family members who have maybe really never um, met the loved one or not known them well for them to go, you know, I, I know the spirit of her soul. I know what she was about. Thank you. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool um, <clears throat> to be able to see that. And I wouldn't have known that we had even options available um, to that. I, you know, you kind of follow the script of, of what you're given and, you and um, you know, like you, um, you allow people to, uh, you know, you ask people, what is it, you know, what's important to you as a family or as an individual when you're planning this, you know, how do you want it to look like? How do you want it to feel? Um, and those are questions I don't think are anyways for me and my family, they weren't asked, you know, it was just, do you want A or B, you know, do you want C or D? Um, and it really wasn't about the feeling of, um, the process. And, and I think that there's, there's such a huge, huge difference when you're allowed to feel a, like you have choice and you really get to the core of why you're doing this in the first place. Um, yeah, I think there has to be a huge change in the personalization of funeral service or celebration of life. I think you hit it right on the head with many funeral homes and you will see you going, there's package A, there's package B, there's package C. You know, are there variations outside this package? There's endless variations outside this package. What most people don't realize is that they have input. And so when I sit down and talk to people, it's this input. Many times we don't even talk about planning your own funeral. It's really, these are your options out there. What's important to you? What legacy do you want to leave? How do you want your family members to handle this side of the service? Um, one analogy that I always make is that when people plan a wedding, uh, I read this in an article years ago, that there are just as many decisions to be made in the funeral process as there are in a wedding. Mm -hmm. And many people take months, if not years, to plan a wedding. And here most people are trying to plan a funeral within a two- or three-hour time period sitting at the funeral home under high periods of stress. So I think this this knowledge that's out there, or at least this education that's out there, I think unbiased is the true term that needs to go along with it. Many times... I've talked to people who have gone to funeral homes and talked to them, whether it's pre-planning or just trying to get some education and some knowledge. There's always some selling involved, or there's always 
some biased information because they want the person to come to their funeral home. I think if you get unbiased information and you get the ability to talk down or sit down and talk to somebody in a neutral setting, in a neutral environment, in a non-threatening environment, it's amazing how the conversation flows. Uh, this is a topic, as you know, that has been behind closed doors for so long, people just refuse to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Once they start talking about it and they're comfortable talking to the person that they're visiting with, it changes tremendously, and, and the questions really become endless. Well, and don't you think with that conversation, um, you know, you have to, the expert that you're tapping into has to feel um not only comfortable, but I think there needs to be a compassionate side um, to to that conversation instead of just rote, just following the form yes. and filling in the blanks. And and I know everybody's, you know, companies' budgets are tight, staff are short on time, but I, I think that's the huge difference, um, you know, with the process is, you know, if you can really get to um, get into a conversation, not just not just a question and answer, not just a, you know, pick A or B, um, you know, plan. Life is, it, it needs to be customized. Um, and, and There you, needs to be emotion attached to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, you had shared with me, um, and if you're not comfortable, because I didn't say I was going to ask you this one on the, on, on the air, but... Um, if you're comfortable sharing the story of the family you went out to, I believe it was the barn, to have this oh. conversation with. I mean, to me, I just thought that was such a powerful story of getting to the crux of what was important. Yeah, one of the most powerful moments for me in my 25 plus years in this industry is uh, it was kind of a tragic situation. A 15 year old boy had died, and a local boy had died in the river while he was fishing, he drowned. Um, the family was an incredibly large family, an extended family that grew up in the area. So their family was everywhere. So when it came time to make arrangements, I contacted the family and, and they said, well, you know, there's like 35 of us that want to come in and, and be a part of this process. And I started thinking, first of all, I said, to seat 35 comfortably where, where we can all get involved in my funeral home is going to be difficult. So I made the, the offer. I said, listen, why don't we do this? They lived in four miles out of town. I said, why don't I come out to you? I will bring everything that we need. So I brought casket selection books, everything that we needed from, from the service side of things. I said, let me bring it out to you. I picked up a couple cases of beer, and we sat in the barn. We talked probably for four hours just about the life of this young boy and, and how important he was to all the family members before we even touched on the funeral service side of things. And it taught me a huge lesson in this industry that many times I think funeral directors think that they're in this position of power and this position of of authority. When in reality, you need to listen. You need to just sit back and you need to shut your mouth. And sometimes you just need to listen because these people talk for four hours. I could have been there or not. It really didn't matter but they had the opportunity to sit down and talk and that's what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. Very, 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 I think critical and just to be flexible and to know how important the inclusion of everybody was um, versus sometimes uh, I know within a family, I mean, even when I did pre-planning with my folks, 
my brothers weren't available and they really weren't comfortable with the conversation. So it was okay, you go with mom and dad. Well, then I did that and then they died and then it was questioning, well, why'd you do that? Why didn't we have that? Why didn't you? And it was just like, oh, why did we even go through this process? So, you know, I'm sitting there trying to be quiet, trying to keep cool, trying to not take it personally, but it's like, oh my God, we're going through the process all, what was the point of going through the process? We're doing it all over again. And, um, it was, it was uncomfortable in a lot of fashions. Um, you know, because mom and dad had chose what they wanted. I didn't choose what they wanted and they were starting to question that. And, um, and that can be a difficult, um, position for the, for family members as well. Versus, you know, you touched on so you mm-hmm. touched oh. on a great point. Uh, many times I would witness if mom or dad passed away and, and all the siblings, the children would get together at the funeral home. Many times some of these siblings have not seen each other in years. Mm-hmm. So they have no idea, one, what mom and dad wanted. And, and two, there's arguments going on with the siblings, whether it be financial, whether it be personal, emotional, whatever it may be. So to have the ability to talk about some of these things Again, I'm being repetitive, but before the at-need situation, not only does it benefit the person who passes away because they have the service that they maybe wanted wishes for, but it benefits the family members because now there's some sense of guidance that hopefully will answer some of their questions while they're sitting down in front of the funeral director. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um now, with the conversation, how how do you suggest opening the door to having it? Um, is it through services like yours that comes in non-threatening and from an educational standpoint versus a, a true pitch of sale? I think it has to be with somebody one you're comfortable with. I think if it's if it's a sales pitch. Generally, my experience tells me that they're going to be very closed to mouth and, and you're not going to get the open communication and conversation that I think is necessary. So I think, one, it has to be with somebody that you trust, whether that be a, a clergy member, whether that be a, a, another family member, whether it's a friend. You know, you don't have to have this conversation in front of somebody who's who's certified or legally entitled to do it. You need to have the conversation with somebody, one that you trust, but this person has to understand what those options and what that education and communication is, um, or it becomes an unnecessary conversation, obviously. So I think part of the reason I'm comfortable or people are comfortable with me is, again, I go back to this unbiased side of it. I'm not trying to sell something. I'm not trying to sell you a funeral bill of goods. I'm not trying to sell you a cemetery plot. I'm not trying to sell you a casket. I'm here just to educate you. Once people, people are very guarded, as you know, and very defensive. And we're always constantly being told we want to, we need to buy something and we're being constantly sold something. If you can get away from that and touch on what the meaning of the topic truly is, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um. Can you tell us, um, you know, a little bit more detail about your qualifications? You know, I know you said you were a funeral planner and have been in the industry for for 25 years regarding end-of-life options. Do you want to talk a a little bit more about that? Yeah. um, I actually got my start in the funeral business working with my father in southern Minnesota and in the funeral home that had been in the family for about 100 years. We worked together side by side, so I Maybe one of the best learning experiences of my professional career 
was to sit side by side with my father. And, and I don't necessarily mean how to do it. I think I, I mean more so how not to do it. And, I, and I'm not taking a dig at my father. It's just that my father had been in the business for a number of years, and everything became repetitive. Everything became cookie cutter, exactly the same. And I could see the value of nonverbal communication and, and the value of, of listening and shutting your mouth and allowing people to talk. So I learned very quickly, very early on, that this business became more one of listening than a bit of true talking or guidance because people are, anybody that's gone through this process, you have no idea how difficult it is. Um, extremely difficult. And you're putting in an environment like a funeral home. I mean, even if we relate back to this where I made arrangements in the barn, if I, if, there was ever an opportunity for me to make arrangements in the home of the person, I always did it because it was their comfort zone. It, it just, there was something about going into their home where they were more relaxed. Now, people would always say, well, we need to pick out a casket or a vault. We can do that through photographs. I can explain the differences in the price and the structure and the breakdown, and you can look at a photograph and make a selection. If you're more comfortable staying in your home, then that's where I want you to stay. So the first part, I gave you the long answer, but the first part of my my qualifications and my education was working with my father. And then I, when my father got out of the business, I bought him out and owned and operated the funeral for approximately 15, 20 years and then sold it. I sold it actually a few years ago, 10 years ago. Once I sold it, I had missed the industry so much that I wanted to get back into it in some capacity. So I went to work with a very large company in Minnesota, a very large general company in Minnesota, because I wanted to experience, you know, I grew up in southern Minnesota, a very rural environment. I wanted to experience in the urban environment where you didn't know the family members before they came in, because 99% of the, the arrangements I would make when I owned my funeral home were with people that I knew. So that level of trust was already there. I wanted to experience it from the point where I don't know these families. Let's develop that level of trust. Um, from that perspective, totally different. Not only from my side of the table, but from the family side of the table, because I experienced very quickly that when people would walk in, and you made reference to it earlier, that they very guarded, very protected, very, you know, we don't want to be taken advantage of. So having the proper education they had some knowledge prior to coming in, it made a huge difference. If they didn't, we just weren't allotted the amount of time necessary to go through all the options and to talk about it with them. You were given two hours to complete funeral arrangements. If you weren't done, you had to basically leave, go to another family, and another funeral director would follow up and come up and finish with the family you were with. So very difficult, very different process in, in the city that I saw in, in the rural areas. So most of my, really all of my experiences is whether as owner of a funeral home or working for a funeral home. Okay, great. Now you're also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, don't you have a certification? Um, I'm a certified senior advisor as well, yeah. Okay. Which means that it's a lengthy course that you take to go through. The main part about being a certified senior advisor that I wanted was the background checks are done. So family members that work with me, especially some of the elderly people because they're constantly being taken advantage of, know that I've had a background check done and, and know that things are in place. Mm -hmm. So it helps eliminate a little bit of uncomfortableness from them. 
Yep, I would agree. And that yeah, I've been through that course myself. And it really gives you um, a much more well-rounded idea of, um, you know, what a senior or an elderly person is going through, um, yeah. it, you know, in terms of life and uh, family dynamics, all of that stuff kind of gets wrapped up into it along with legalities and and stuff. And so it, it is very much a, a credible um, certification. I just kind of want to reinforce um, that so that people are aware of that. Um, and it's not just a, you know, a couple hours. This is like three days worth of intense training. And I, yeah, re- I remember yeah. when I did it, I, I went out to California for it and I and it's all different professions um, that can be in this because it's it's really about a I think a holistic approach to um, all of somebody's needs um, you know Agreed. not just yeah. one one area of service there um, can you share with us you know some of the the basic things that you think families should consider or discuss when talking about end of life yeah, I, I think first and foremost for me, one of the most important things is to get the person, the person whose end of life discussion you're having about whether it be mom, dad, or a sibling, to get their input. Many times these conversations are had, and they're afraid to go to the person that they're talking about and get their input. And nobody knows you like you. So one of the first things I think is for people to you know, to have that conversation with this person, get some feedback from them, get some thoughts. And, and initially the conversation I hear is, well, I really don't care what you do. I'm not going to be here anyway, so do what you want to do. But in reality, these people do care. And, they, and it's amazing when I sit down with family members and, and watch them go through some of the communication. It's, it's almost like a stroll down memory lane where they start reminiscing about old stories and, and, and good things and bad things come up. So it's, it can be highly emotional, but it's highly therapeutic and highly beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. Many times, if the church is important to you, many times they'll involve a clergy member because they want the clergy to be a part of it. And I think that's beneficial from two aspects. I think the family benefits from that because they have, again, another trusted soul, their clergy, who's there. But what I also think it does is it allows this clergy to know the person more intimately so when it comes time to have the service if you're going to have a service in church or wherever you're going to have it if the clergy member is going to officiate the service he has a he has a better background on you and is able to talk about you in more meaningful detail to the family to the survivors um i think that's hugely important many times and i'm going to be critical sometimes of clergy is that they don't take the time to get to know the person who passed away. They don't sit down with the family members and, and learn more about them, and, and the service becomes more one of scripture than does one of remembrance or celebration. So I think those, I, I just, the key, I guess, to be honest, Laurie, is just to have somebody that you trust where you know that this communication is open, but to make some type of written, con, not contract, but some type of written agreement so there's, there's this information is down on paper so it can be easily recalled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really, really important um, I, because it, there's so many details and um, it, it just, yeah, you have to, you have to know exactly, you know, what, what is somebody's wishes? You know, I mean, my, my, um, 
my dad wanted to be cremated, and initially my mom didn't, and then she ended up changing her mind on that. But, I mean, that's a huge question, and a lot of times we just kind of take it for granted, and then all of a sudden you think, oh, my gosh, we didn't have that conversation. That is huge. I mean, we have a standing joke in my family. My my daughter does not want me cremated, and I strongly want to be cremated. And, and the joke is, for once in my life, let me be little. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And she's like, I don't want you to be burnt. And I'm like, I, it's not me anymore. You know, I want to... You know, I, I want to be I want to be green, you know, um, yeah. and, um, you know, I want to blow in the wind. I want to do all these different things. You know, please, you know, respect my wishes. And I know now she will because we had that conversation. But if we if we hadn't had that conversation, um, I, I know I probably would have been embalmed and put in a box and you know, take it up a lot more space than I think is necessary. And, um, you know, that's just not what I wanted. And, and and that came, that came out of the conversation because of my folks, not that I have personally done my planning yet, probably should, should have. Um, but we've had some, I think, in-depth conversations about it, but I haven't gone through the formal process. Um, but, you know, having that with my parents who were both chronically ill, um, it, it has that ripple effect, that conversation, um, if people, if we can get past the fear, you know, in, in having the conversation. And even though my daughter was really scared, I, I forced the issue with her and, and told her, this is important to me. I need you to know this. And as uncomfortable as she was, I think she had enough respect for me to, you know, just kind of shut up and listen and so that we could have a conversation. And she could tell me her fears of of why she didn't like my choice. And, you know, um, we, we really had a nice, respectful conversation on that. And and for me, that was really comforting, you know, on a lot of levels. And then when her grandparents passed, she understand, uh, I think, much better, understood much better the importance of their choice and for us to honor people's choices. You know, this is this is kind of their, their last decision. Why would we take that away from them? Yeah, I think you touched on a very important point. I, I think if it's in your situation, you wanted to talk about it. I think it's very important for other family members to listen because I've seen other situations where a person has wanted to talk about it, but certain children or other family members just refuse because it's one of those topics, as you mentioned, it's very difficult to talk about. And then if they do pass away, there's this huge second guessing. This is, oh, mom wanted to talk about it, but I refuse to talk about it. So it obviously creates additional issues other than just the passing away of mom. So I think you touched on a on a a big note there that if somebody wants to talk about it, having somebody in that family to sit down and listen is important. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you, you commented on was change because plans change. I'm going through it with my mother right now. And, you know, we talk about it all the time and, and she obviously grew up in the industry. So she understands the funeral industry, but she goes back and forth from the traditional funeral, which means body embalmed, body present at the funeral and visitation to cremation. Mm-hmm. And it changes almost every time I go down and see her. So you know, it's one of those things. So if you make changes, verbally make changes, make sure you make changes to anything you have that's written so those those changes are noted. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us some of the industry, you know, options that are changing? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing things online where 
um, for cremation of ashes. I mean, you can log where you've sprinkled them. I, I mean, there's just a lot of creative stuff going on out there right now. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing? I mean, most of it's on the cremation side because you're seeing the cremation rates continually go up. I think right now, when I, my center home was in Goodwood County, which is in southern Minnesota. My, the cremation rate of Goodwood County at the time was about 8 or 9%. I think now it's just under 30%. And I know the cremation rate here in the metro is, is well over 50%, I think approaching 56%. So a lot of the changes that you see, whether they be from a business perspective or just from a personal choice perspective, are in cremation. I think one of the biggest things that I try to stress with people when I was making arrangements up here and when I was working for the funeral home up here is that if somebody came in and they were going to be cremated, just understand what your options and your rights are with the cremation process. Once the cremation process is done itself and you have access to the cremated remains, whether you pick them up from the crematory, you have them shipped to you, you no longer have to involve a funeral home. Most people don't understand this, is that you can take those cremated remains, you can have a service wherever you want to have a service, you can have a service when you want to have a service. Um, you don't have to involve a funeral home at that point in time. So that becomes a huge financial savings for most people that, that they're just not aware of. Um, with a traditional funeral, it's different. So many times now people are going towards cremation because of the traditional funeral. One, it's not only more expensive, but it's becoming less, it's becoming more restrictive when it comes to services. You're limited to the amount of time you can wait. Um, you have to involve a funeral home at this point in time because you have a dead human body and you have to have a licensed funeral director take care of that. So the, your options become less and less of the traditional thing you to do with the cremation. And then back to the cremation side, you're seeing a lot of businesses. You're seeing businesses that are thriving at burial at sea. Um, people put their, can put their cremated remains in fireworks and launch them up into the air. Uh, there's a whole, all you have to do is Google cremation options and you'll find all kinds of different ways and creative ways that you can take care of the cremated remains, whether you want to keep them or whether you want, based on the wishes of the person, to disperse those ashes someplace else. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think change has, has been a four-letter word in this industry for a long, long time. It's traditional, it's traditional, it's traditional. And you're starting to see the public become more and more aware of what their options are, and they're voicing their opinions, and they're voicing... Uh, what they want, these changes that need to be done. So I'm, I'm hoping that some of the funeral homes hear this and, and make some of these options available. I think it's great. I, you know, the going up in a fireworks, you know, it's just kind of, oh, going out with one last big bang, you know, yeah, it's kind of, I, mean, I mean, it's just kind of a cute option um, it is. To, to think. I know, um, you know, one of the, the weird things that we did with my dad was he, you know, he was, um, he was in the army and, you know, you, you get a flag. And so it was like, okay, you get the flag. And I just said, well, we need three of them. And they just looked at me like, well, you are a crazy person. You get one. And yeah. I said, well, can we get two more? And they're like, well, why would you want two more? And I said, because I don't want us as siblings fighting over who gets my dad's flag. And he's like, well, you, you'd you have to buy them. I, you know what? I, I really don't care if I have to buy two more flags. Why can't we each have you know, have that, um, 
availability to to respect my dad and honor him um, in our own homes. I mean, that was a huge. But what was funny is at the funeral, they put all three flags out. So then all of his friends were like, well, I, how many how many terms did he serve? You know, <laughs> and it was like just one. But then we explained it and people go, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. We're going to do that when my folks pass, too, because I know we'd all want flags. And it's like, yep. how simple, just a simple, simple, little, little teeny thing. And and even with um, the flag, then I wanted the case in it. Well, they didn't sell the case. And it's just like, you know, that's just kind of, that just eases a, a family's process so much. And, I, and I'm sure it's changed now over time. But what a huge difference for us not to have to run out and, you know, try to go to Hobby Lobby or something to find a case. But just to, just to have it all said and done. You know, yeah. um, and and to ease the process because it's not easy, you know, to begin with, um, or you know, showing people options of what do you do with with ashes. You know, with with dad, um, it was nice they did the the salute, you know, with the guns out at out at the cemetery, mm-hmm. and gave us the shells, and then we we could all put some of his ashes in his shell and make a little memory box, you know, of of another piece. Um, you know, to have with us. And, you know, I've seen people do so many different things with ashes from putting them in little <clears throat> necklaces and jewelry. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's endless, but nobody knows about that stuff unless they just happened on it. And, you know, to me, it would be wonderful if, and again, not as an upsale thing, but even for a funeral home to say, you know, this is, we know this is a tough time. A lot of people are looking at ways to memorialize and still stay connected. You know, here's just a here's just a booklet of a bunch of ideas. You know, and not necessarily pimping off of that, but just saying you might find some more comfort in this um, versus upselling everything. Um, I would agree. I yeah. agree, and I think I think that this book that you talk about, full of ideas. If they could get this before they come into the funeral home. So if somebody passes away in the family and they contact the funeral home and they know they're going to utilize this funeral home, it would take us, all it would take is the funeral director to say, listen, before you come in, I'm going to come out and drop a book off with you, give you a list of some of the ideas, some of the options that you can look at, that you can take a look at before you come in. Because the problem is they don't allow the time once they do come in because they're so pushed because just because they are that busy becomes the business side of it. Uh, I think it's a great idea, Lori. It's, and, and you're exactly right in that most people don't or are not aware of what their options are unless they witness it firsthand at a previous service. Yep. Well, and um, I, I don't know. It just it totally, totally just amazes me the whole the whole process and you know of choice. Um, one of the things that I totally adore um, that I found online after my dad died and it was it was too late to um, take part in this but it it wasn't for my mom was um, fingerprint jewelry and you know um, first impressions has just a wonderful wonderful collection Um, and you can find it in stores now And, and what was really strange was the guy who started that um, was actually my personal jeweler and I had no idea that it was Jake until I, I went in. And, um, you know, I wear that necklace every day and I can just rub and and um, talk to my mom. You know, it just gives me great, great comfort. But, 
you know, nowadays, I mean, that even if someone has passed, they could still get a fingerprint and process that jewelry for somebody. And, and what a comfort that would be versus all of a sudden they're cremated or they're buried in the ground and now it's way too late, um, you know, to try to do that. But to just, for someone to bring that up is just, um, it's huge. It's just, it's, yeah. it's huge. And it is huge. And I think, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in the word of mouth in terms of advertising. And I think when you give people those types of resources and that kind of comfort, they can't help but talk about you. you uh, know, yes. And, and direct people your way. And um, I, I just think that it's, it's so, so important. Um, what types of things would you like to see in, in the death care industry? From a change perspective? Mm-hmm. You know, I think just the word change itself is, and I referred to it earlier in the conversation, is something that just, it just has to be done. Um, you know, I use the example of when I was working with my father and I saw the cookie cutter or the repetitive nature of, of the way he did handle families. And he was fantastic with families, but there was this, there was something missing because it was the same thing every single time. And, and you see a lot of that in a lot of the funeral homes. I think the personalization side of things, you know, the use of the term celebration of life is becoming cliche and, and maybe slightly overused. But I think if you can personalize the service, um, I think it makes a huge difference. I recently had a friend that passed away from cancer, and, and his service took uh, almost an hour and 45 minutes, but it was so incredibly personalized on how they did things and how they incorporated certain people into the service. I think it was a true tribute to this person's life. And I think that's what I think needs to be noticed or needs to be changed is the way that we celebrate this life. Um, there's this traditional way of when it comes to planning, you know, let's do it as quickly as possible. Let's get through the funeral process as quickly as we can and, and Forget about it, not forget about it, but, you know, get past that point. I think if you take your time and truly plan and create the celebration, I think it gives, it, gives more meaning to that end-of-life ceremony, whether it's a traditional funeral or whether you do a cremation service on your own. Um, I think just even education and knowledge of knowing what some of the family's options are away from the funeral home because you're seeing more and more families that are kind of breaking away from the church and, and you're seeing more and more even access to home funerals or what, what they call family-directed funerals where they don't involve a funeral home or a funeral director at all. And, and it's where they take care of the person in their home. Um, they don't obviously embalm, but they use dry ice and a number of different things where they can actually have an in-home service. It gives them, right now the laws have changed, so you have actually 48 hours to do the process, but it gives you 48 hours to spend with your loved one. I can't, to be honest, coming from this industry, the way the funeral process is handled now, even with the traditional church funeral service where you walk in in front of everybody and you walk out in front of everybody, it would be extremely difficult for me to do if I had, to say, my daughter and my wife passed away. A home funeral to me, not that I'm a promoting home funerals, but it would give you 48 hours to spend with your loved one to take care of them, to dress them, to bathe them, to do all these unique things that is not 
offered through a traditional funeral service. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not proponing home funerals, but just to be aware of that knowledge that, that that option is out there, I think is very important. Well, you know, what you mentioned, um, I was actually out of town when my mom was actively dying. I had two keynotes in uh, Arizona, and my mom had told me before I wouldn't be there anyways, that she needed me away for the to pull the family together. Um, but one of the cool things that happened um, with me not being there was I had pulled in um, friends who were just, you know, wonderful in terms of hospice, and though she had hospice, but... When my mom died, my daughter was there alone. All the family, you know, had left. And um, one of my good friends um, came, and they cleansed her body together. And that was so healing to just take care of her and, you know, to clean her up because she was draining and she was, you know, going through all the different processes that a body goes through when it dies. And I had never heard of that, you know. I... I, and then me, out of town, I was out to dinner with a woman who I didn't even know who had made plans uh, to meet me probably four months in advance. And here we're, we're watching my mom on video take her last breath. And she says, you know, I will go home and do a ritual. She was Indian and said, you know, for the next um, 90 days, I will light a candle and say a prayer in honor of your family and in honor of your mom. And she did. She went home. She she said, I'll go home and I'll cleanse my body and then I'll do this ritual every single night. And she, she took a picture of, you know, of her altar, her prayer altar. And it was like a perfect stranger. It was like, what a gift that was to me. Yeah. You know, we'll be friends forever. Um, so there's yeah. so many different things. You know, you had talked about, you know, the the death care industry. And, and you know, I'd even like to change that to just our care culture in general. I'm a, I'm a huge pusher of we need to understand that we even have a care culture. And just because someone passes doesn't mean that um, our caring for them stops. This is kind of like right. that last hurrah in terms yep. of how we show our respect. And, and I was just kind of playing with things on, you know, what I would personally like to see. And I'll just throw these out to you and see what you think. But, um, you know, this looking at death as a celebration and respecting one's life and, and being able to personalize that. And I think we can do that if we have help through a compassionate source and um, one that's going to allow us as individuals to have as as best of closure as we can, because this is great loss and grieving, and doing that by tapping into um, create you know creative ways um, to represent one's life. If that's a TV clicker, if it's a fishing pole, if it's a beer can, if it's I mean knitting needles. I mean you see all these things now um, in caskets or around if they've already been mm-hmm. cremated that represent what were their passions, what did they like, what are you going to remember them for? And you know I was at one funeral that just had. Um, pictures uh, scattered all over, not in the typical, here's the board, here's the photos, but mm-hmm. pictures in frames from their home, not not that we're done just because someone passed, but actual pieces um, of life that was important to them. And um, I've seen, you know, jewelry and artwork and, I mean, uh, plants even. I mean, it's just, this is who this person is. This is, who, you know, what was important to them. And then, um, you know, I think that allows us comfort. 
you know, and then that, that gets right back to helping us with closure. Um, thinking, you know, going out, um, saying, you know, we did, we did them well, you know, we represented them well. And I think that's that's important. Very important. You made a great point where typically now you see picture boards, but when people have personal items that were important, whether he was a woodcarver or a a photographer or something that was important in his life, at the visitation process, whether that's in a center home or whether it's someplace, some other venue, it provides two things. Not only does it, it, it provide the legacy of this person a little bit, but it gives those that come to remember this person something to talk about. And it changes the entire mood of the visitation process because now you have people engaged in conversation. They're picking up, they're holding these pieces. They're talking about them, they're touching them. It's truly a celebration, but it's truly a healing process for those that are survivors. I think that's a great point. Yeah, that's very true. It is much more engaging, and people people are uplifted. When mom passed away, I mean, we pulled in a musician who actually worked with her, and she sang mom's favorite song, you know, um, On the Way Out. She sang You Are My Sunshine, and with dementia, that was something that, you know, was just so important to her. And and everybody was smiling, you know. Everyone was really uplifted and, and joined in. Um, people weren't sad and full of loss. They they truly were celebratory. And, and, and you know, that's just so much easier on, on the family um, yeah. to be able to lift spirits instead of, you know, the, the sadness of the loss. It, it's... Um, it, it makes a huge, huge um, difference. You it know? does. When you walk away from a funeral service or a celebration like that, it, you walk away with a different emotional state and a different attitude. Mm-hmm. I referred to this friend of mine who just passed away. I don't, I, I don't think I saw anybody crying after this funeral service. And he was a man who touched the lives of many people. Everybody had a smile on their face because of the way the service was conducted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, this has just been a absolutely wonderful conversation. I thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the passion that you put into it. Um, if people are interested in consulting with you, what's the best way for them to reach you, Dan? They can get a hold of me a couple of different ways. One, my website is livingtreeplan.com. Or they can just call me by phone, and, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. My phone number is 612 612- Two two nine six six nine five, and if you go onto my website, there's a contact page there where you can reach me via email. Many people like to do that as well. So, um, phone and email, I guess, by far the two best. Or you can text me. I'm okay to that as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time, and and have a brilliant week, and and we wish you all the success in the world. Thank you, Laurie. It was an honor to be part of your program. Thank you. Um, For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are part of the Alive and Social Network. And a couple of shows that you might want to check out is Apples to Apples, which airs on Monday. 
um, with Scott and Drew Applebaum, a father and son team who discusses sports. And uh, a lot of bantering goes on over on that show, and you can find out if father always knows best or not. Another show that might be of interest is Joan of Art, and that's a weekly broadcast, uh, again, here on a live and social network. And Joan investigates and celebrates people who make art, and it's a, it's a wonderful program, and I think you'll, I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, I want to point out uh, some of our last shows that we had. I actually did three shows this past week. One was on Amy's Place, which is a new spin on uh, memory cafes, uh, um, and it's actually a memory care cafe uh, where people can um, not just come in for a couple hours like most memory uh, cafes, but this is actually a home they can go to, um, you know, seven days a week, and it's it's pretty spectacular. Um, also, we did a program on the caregiver alert system, which is about protecting your loved ones in advance in case they would wander. Fantastic system, very economical. Um, you can get a digital poster of your loved one within 10 minutes put out, um, and it's a fantastic way to be able to work versus trying to pull pictures and height and weight and all of those types of things together, um, and it pulls family and police together as one. And then we also have the show on the 10 Absolutes with Joe Huey, who, who is um, just an exceptional trainer. In fact, the 10 Absolutes um, is celebrating, I want to say it was 20 years. Um, and these tips, I still see them floating around all over. She's updated her book. Um, great show to get some tips on. Our next Dementia Chats, which is an educational webinar where the experts actually have dementia, will be on uh, March 22nd. And our last session um, is posted now. You can get it if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Um, it's on our main page, or you can go to initiative initiatives and a projects tab and find all the episodes there. But we discussed um, the confusion people are having between dementia-friendly communities and a dementia village. Uh, if you're going to be in Texas, uh, look me up or, or get a hold of me ahead of time. I'm going to be down in the Houston area April 5th through 7th with the Autumn Leaves Memory Care um, communities, and we're going to be doing uh, some screenings of His Neighbor Phil, the new Hollywood uh, film on family dealing with dementia. And then I'll be down in Tyler, Texas, April 28th at the Alzheimer's Alliance of Smith County. We're going to be doing a caregiver survival camp. Uh, on the blog, let's see, what can I shout out there? Um, Brandy um, Chaston um, is going to donate her brain to science. There's an article about that. There's also a couple of new songs that just describe the loss of dementia that I think you will find uh, very beneficial as well on there. So check that out. And I think that's all I have for you. It's been a brilliant week. Um, tap into your memory chip and make sure uh, the ones you are caring for are safe, happy, and pain-free. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye now. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. 
To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.